From zombies to dragons to superpowers and everything in between. All the TV reviews you'd ever Welcome to the Modern Meltdowns TV Breakdown. I'm your host, Matthew Soul. Joining me today is my podcasting buddy, Tommy Din. We know it's America first, but how about Australia second? <laughs> Tell and, the Trump. And, I, I don't know. Not, not too bad for your first show. Yeah, I'm, sure. I'm out of practice with my impersonation skills. That's right. I'm sure over the should You should have uh, dropped in some. Done. Boom. <laughs> I'm sure over the next four years, you're going to have ample opportunity and some great quotes to practice with. Uh, the other voice, of course, belongs to Roy the Wonder Boy. Compliment of the day to you both. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. Now, uh, the team has been away for just a little over a month. We've been moving uh, podcasts over to Spreaker, uh, which is going to provide a better format for us and for you. Uh, we've also been, well, Tommy, I should say, not we, I haven't done anything towards that aspect of it, but Tommy has been working diligently putting together our new website. We're going to see the fruits of that labor very soon. Um, we're doing oh, some relaunches. You can see it right now. Well, you can. It, it's still, we need to clean it up a little bit, but it's getting there. Yeah, there's some posts that are kind of not necessarily like a whole part of the site. I think it's called the movie hoedown that shouldn't exist. Yep. But I thought it was funny, so... It is yeah. kind of, I do like the movie Hoedown. Uh, but what's cool about the new website is it gives us the ability to do uh, a little bit of a written component to each of these episodes. So after you've listened to the podcast, uh, you can go onto the website and you can check out a brief of what we thought. Um, and you can, uh, you can leave a comment. You can do all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, now, this is season two we're going to be calling this year. This is the very first episode, which is episode 42. Uh, now we're going to be jumping on board with some brand new shows. The only carry-on from last year is going to be Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which myself and Tommy review at the end of the podcast. Uh, so the if Expanse. Yes. So what do you mean, like, immediate? Oh, sorry, yeah, I forgot The Expanse is a continuation. Uh, but season two, so technically a new show. New season, a new show. Now, if you're playing along with us at home, we are now watching Legion, The Exorcist, The Expanse, and Six then followed with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the end of the episode. Um, so, I thought we would start with Roy's pick, 6, which is uh, Season 1, Episode 1, Pilot. Roy, do you want to take the lead on this one? As to why you picked this show and made me watch it? <laughs> <laughs> well... To be perfectly honest, I didn't have any particular reason for choosing this show apart from it looked like it would have shooting in it. <laughs> well, you're not wrong about that yet. There's some. There's definitely shooting in there. Lots of shooting. I knew nothing about this show. I hadn't heard of it before. I didn't know any of the actors in it. I just saw like the promo poster for it, and it looked like. Some terrorists probably going to get what's coming to them in this show. Let's give it a spin. Well, uh, we, uh, we've checked out the first episode uh, so far. 
So let me just bring up the synopsis for everyone so we're on top of it. Uh, SEAL Team 6 troop leader Rip Taggart makes a questionable decision while on a mission in Afghanistan. Two years later, Rip is captured by Boku Haram, and it's up to his former SEAL Team 6 brothers to locate and rescue him. So had you read that before you watched the first episode? No, I watched the first episode, and now I'm reading it straight off IMDb, because they have the best synopses. Yeah, I was wondering if you, like, read up about the series a bit before you jumped into it. No, I mean, I knew knew what I was sort of in for, because this is a series that's produced by the History Channel, and what they try and do with their series, uh, you guys would know with Vikings, is they actually try to incorporate uh, real elements uh, from you know, a historical setting, or in this case, a modern setting. So when I talk about real elements, we're talking about proper military procedures, uh, actual uh, equipment that the military uses, and things like that. So it, they try and make it a little bit more realistic than most shows. Uh, I think that's their mandate at the History Channel. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Did uh, Did you like this show, Tommy? What do you think? I have some issues with it, but as of right now, it is an okay show. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, uh, I did go into this, and and I'll be honest with you, Roy, I went into Six thinking I was going to hate it, like really hate it. Uh, It's definitely not as bad as Colony, which is something we watched last year. Look, let's, let's just have a little aside here. Is anything as bad as Colony? Like there's like maybe Gotham. two there's two Gotham, maybe two yeah. shows. Definitely Gotham. Yeah, it was I was gonna say Gotham and the one hundred. Yes. Oof, Colony was and you didn't even watch the whole the whole hundred. Uh that's never gonna happen. Yeah. I, I, I did. I, I tapped out well, at like episode season. four. Mm, yeah. Not good, man. Yeah. So what are your problems with it with six as a show? Uh <clears throat> okay, so I think it jumps at least in this first episode, it seems to like that. There's that moment where Rip kills the hostage guy, yeah, or like the, the guy who surrenders, and he's like, "I'm an American, don't shoot us." And then, like, he just shoots the guy, but he doesn't shoot the other guy. And I'm like, "Why didn't you just shoot the other guy if you were going to so shoot that guy?" So he could come back and betray them. Yeah, I'm going to talk about yeah, that so, point a little bit later on. You know, and I, that whole moment didn't seem to have the gravitas that it needed. Like, it sort of did, but not really. And, and I didn't get any sense of, like, why he did it in the first place. Apart well, from the fact that he's sort of a little bit unhinged yeah, I mean, as, as a human being. I did like how that scene played out for, you know, a couple of different reasons. Like, obviously, this guy is, is unhinged. And when Rip walks into the area... You know, he sees a bunch of children with their throats slit. They come across a hostage. And as, you know, they're they're telling the man who's holding the hostage to drop his weapon and calm down, he stabs his wife in the throat. You know, so I can understand why someone in that situation would start to go a little bit loopy. Um, You are right, though. It's like if you're going to go loopy, go full loopy. Why not kill both of them? Um, That's, you know, something we'll talk about later on. And... The I, I do, however, I like the moral ambiguity of a situation like that. I think it's it's an interesting thought experiment. If you put yourself in those shoes, would you be able to maintain professionalism? Could you still be a soldier and not uh, not uh, lose it, which this guy obviously has? Um, 
I mean, just in real life, there are many, many cases of soldiers who are suffering uh, pretty terrible post-traumatic stress syndrome and they go out and do horrible things. So it's not, for me, it's not uh, outside the realm of possibility. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit shaky. It's like either go full hog or, you know what I mean? It's like you'd, it would make more sense for him to shoot both of them. Well, what about you, Roy? You want to chime in? Well, this show was about what I expected. Which, well, I suppose I've already said I went into it not knowing anything. So it's about what I expected after having watched the first five minutes. Like the rest of it lived up to those expectations. And that was, you know, kind of maybe not one-dimensional, but maybe wooden characters. Yeah. And all your typical sort of family drama cliches. Like you've got the one guy who's like, oh, get out of the military and move to this place to get a good job. No, I have to go help my friend. And then yeah. you've got that, the, uh, the guy, Bear, who's just, why did you betray the commander? And it's like, oh, morals. You've got to have your morals. So, you know, they tick all the boxes there. But it's kind of just a big vehicle for, um, you know, people getting shot. <laughs> Why? Well, I'd like to touch on one point you brought up. I just want to take a, a couple of steps back there. And we talked about like the, the family drama. Uh, this is something that I've just had an absolute gut full of. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, if you can't write a female wife character uh, without this stereotypical bullshit, don't bother because I've had enough of it. I've been, watching television, of course, since, I mean, we all have since we were fucking children, and I've had an absolute gutful of the, you've got it, like, the, the obnoxious wife who gets in your face, and not only it, do we see one form of this stereotype in, uh, in Bear's wife, who's like, oh, you can't, you know, think of your family, you can't go on this mission, I don't, I'm not giving you any leeway, I don't understand, we're not going to have a sensible discussion, which is what most couples do. Uh, I can say this from experience. If me and my wife have a disagreement, we sit down, we actually discuss it like adults. And then not only do are you subjected to this obnoxious wife character, you're then subjected to the obnoxious ex-wife character uh, when uh, one of the other characters, I think his name is Alex, is uh, talking about child support and things like that. And the wife's like, oh, off you go again, always disappearing. Your father's a piece of shit. And well, there's also Ricky's wife. Now, Ricky's wife is a bit, um, yeah, that's Buddha's wife. Yeah. Yeah. She does the, the, she's just, she has resting bitch face the entire time. She just looks uh -huh. fucking angry. Uh, everything he does is the wrong call. And what I think annoys me more about this is the fact that there are people in the military who have very, very supportive partners. And why can't we see any more of that? Uh, on yeah, the why is there no supportive exactly line? why. As Roy was alluding to, this show is a delivery mechanism for action. And we need to cast these guys as heroes and that what they're doing is heroic and, and all that kind of stuff. So the wives have to look bad by design. They have to. Because if they were supportive and awesome 
and all their family life and stuff was awesome, they'd be like, yeah, no, fuck, rip. Just stay with your awesome family and support them because your life is way better than that in that scenario. But like, they, they, can still have a, they can still have a supportive wife and be all, look, I understand how much your team means to you. You've been through hell together. You go get that bitch. You get back. Yeah, I mean, it's not mutually exclusive. Like, I can still believe these guys are, he- are heroes. They're doing heroic things. They're going out there and they're, they're trying to help the world while still having a wife at home who's like, I understand what you're doing. I mean, um, you know, I know... It's, it's too perfect. Well, I, I want to doesn't see... work. doesn't work in a show like this. doesn't work. I think if you take the time, if you, you just try to write well, a little bit better... established they don't have the time. Yeah, it's a delivery mechanism purely yeah, for they... potentially the action. So they need to get all this shit done with, hopefully, in this yeah. episode. Yeah, and yeah. I foresee that they're probably not going to do this and have it come up again. But it's, it's a thing where these guys are going away on a mission. And we have to show that their, their family lives are bad. And that's, why they, that's potentially why they go on these missions. Yeah, Maybe, this, maybe this gives the wives a chance to turn around and later be become supportive of their husbands. I love optimism, Roy. I really do. Look, look, I'm I'm with you. I don't think that's going to happen at all, but yep. maybe. Hey, hey, be optimistic. I like it. Um, uh, another thing uh, I did want to bring up, I, I guess it sort of goes back to the other point as well. Um, when, you know, Rip, he shoots the guy in the head, he leaves the other dude. We find out later that this uh, other dude is his brother of the man he shot. And at the end of the episode, it's like, uh, it, it's basically this old, this old trope. You killed my brother, prepare to die. Now I find it, it it's very hard to understand the, the tone of this show for a sim, for the simple reason that they've got some very complex moral ideas in here. Like the idea of a soldier losing his mind, killing innocent people, becoming a mercenary. These things, uh, can be very complex. They can be very interesting looks into morality. But then the episode is also boiled down to a, you know, you like a revenge tale. So I think, and I mean, it's too early to tell, but I think this can lead to a conflict where one minute they're going to be very deep and very meaningful and, and interesting, and then they're going to turn, change it back into uh, an action vehicle. And I don't have a problem with action vehicles, but I do have a problem in conflicting tone. I think this show could very well have a, a major conflicting tone uh, going into it. Do you guys think that I'm, I'm warranted there, or do you have an opinion? I think I can see where you're coming from, and I don't necessarily disagree, but I think the issue is sort of coming from the subject matter in that maybe terrorists or what have you have a more simplistic you know, impetus to do what they do. Yep. Right? And so maybe they're, um, maybe that does boil just down to revenge or doing it in God's name or something simple like that. And then, well, you've got these soldiers and they're killing people and, you know, maybe at heart they're good people, but they've still been sent out into the world to kill people who might just be in these bad places that circumstances have just put them. Yeah. Right. So I don't necessarily think that's 
these different things, tones are at the fault of the show, but it could just be what the show's the subject matter, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand what you're saying there. Definitely agree. Uh, I've probably got one little last gripe on my list uh, because I'm taking notes now and it's, I should just call them my gripe list. There is one thing, <laughs> there's one thing I want to talk about here. The, uh, as we discussed, the, the show does employ pretty accurate techniques when it comes to uh, what a SEAL, SEAL Team 6 gets up to, you know, uh, the way they move through a building, the, the way they all operate as a team. And we also see some of the gadgets they use, like specialized grenades and things like that. Now, the camera will focus on those things, like the grenades. It will focus on the, the techniques, because as I said, I think that's History Channel's mandate. Did either of you guys get taken out of the uh, the flow of the drama because of those moments, or did you notice them at all? I didn't notice them. Yeah. What about you, Tommy? Uh, yeah, I didn't really notice, but I think maybe this is a side effect. But one of the gripes I had with this was that the action, for me, wasn't that good. And maybe it's because I've grown accustomed to... Um, things of how action kind of should be shot, like the raid and like John Wick. Yep. Where everything's really fluid, you can see everything happening, like where someone's aiming and the effect of when they shoot and things like that. Um, but yeah, in the action sequences, there's too many quick cuts and it's hard to tell who's where and what they're going to do and the effect of their actions. Yeah, yeah. Also had a bit of a green screeny feel at times too. I remember that sequence where you're introduced to them right at the start, uh, where they're fighting in Afghanistan and there's like explosions going on in the hilltops and things like that. But I mean, even thinking of this sort of thing from a TV perspective, I mean, you look at Daredevil and you look at how the, the action in those fight scenes are uh, put together and you'd have to say that, you know, Daredevil as well has that very precise, fluid way of producing action sequences. But I, I will say this about the show. It knows its target audience, and I think its target audience are going to be happy with it. I think I just want to put in a bit about the action sequences. I think it could be different strokes for different people. Like, I agree with both of you. I like the action sequences and say Daredevil or what have you better, but... They could be trying to portray, you know, the chaos and uncertainty that can happen in war, maybe. Yeah, that is a good point. That's my only Yeah, thing. but it's... My issue with that as, as, a, as a thing is that, like, these guys are, you know, this team is, like, the best. They're good at working as a unit. And even despite... And so they should be... So, you know, there can be a lot of chaos that happens to them. Like, you know, random shit happening. But... I think as an audience, you should still know who's like who's doing what where, and maybe that'll change later on. Since you know, like the first episode is establishing the team, so we get to know them. But then, and later on, in like episode two's, you know, etc., you get it more of a sense of team dynamic when they're communicating and stuff like that, or moving around. Um, but I, I still think just you should know who the enemy is and you should know the protagonists in the team and what they're doing. 
as an audience. Chaos can chaos is can still be portrayed, but yeah, you still know who's who's doing what where. Mm. That's all. That's a good point. Uh, moving forward, because we've got a, another couple of shows to review here. Tommy, uh, what you've watched so far, how do you feel about progressing into uh, the rest of the episodes? Is it going to be a trudge for you, or do you think you, it's possible enough that it's not going to ruin your life? <laughs> Probably. I don't think example. it's going to ruin my life. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, I think I might enjoy it for the action. Um, it depends how much melodrama they bring back and how cool the kind of scenarios and the stakes of what is going to happen to this, the team are and whether they build more of a... Um, well, I guess if they build something less tropey with the characters because everyone is, is occupying a trope at the moment and I kind of want the, the individual SEAL Team 6 members to be a little bit more nuanced than that because, yep. you know, you have the new guy, you have the um you know the crazy old leader and like the new leader who has to step up things like that um and i think for a show that's focused so heavily on the team i think they should be nuanced but we'll we'll see um if they if they do that then i'll be then i'll be pleased yeah uh, what about yourself roy for this show my expectations are low enough that i only want them to do well in at least one of the following action um, or interesting characters. Yep. So if they have just one of those, that would be enough. Yep. Um, I think for myself, uh, this show de- is definitely there for your action fiends, uh, your adrenaline junkies. Um, at the moment, I haven't found the action to be significant enough to sort of satisfy those uh, urges. I will say that the moral ambiguity in some of the scenes does get my interest, uh, and the characters are reasonable enough that I think I'll be able to get into uh, episode two without too much of a struggle. Um, so there you go. That's six, uh, season one, episode one. Now, let's have a look at... Let's have a look at something completely different. Let's have a bit of a palate cleanser here. Uh, the Exorcist. This is uh, Season 1, Episode 1, Chapter 1. Let my cry come on to thee. Uh, Angela Rand suspects a demonic presence has entered her home and enlists the help of Father Thomas Otegra, who calls on experienced exorcist Father Marcus Keane. Uh, I'm really uh, interested in the opinions of both of you guys. So, Tommy, do you want to start first? It's bored. Really? Yeah, there was some cool imagery. There was some neato stuff happening. But um, I felt a lot of the scares... They threw a bunch of jump scares in, which I found kind of unnecessary. And there was a bunch of stuff... Well, not a bunch, but the, the, like for instance, there was a, a scene with the crow just rhyming itself into the window and killing itself. I don't know whether like was that like a dream sequence thing? No, no, that was that was real. That, that was happened, like, right? Yeah, right. And that happened, and I'm like, why did that happen? That did not seem like it needed to happen, apart from like they needed to tick off a scares per minute sort of 
thing. No, because the, the demon, demonic presence is like following that lady around. Yeah, well, that's what I thought as well. I thought the the birds and, you know, all this creepy shit is because of the demonic um, possession, this this presence, this energy. And, I mean, I thought that was actually pretty symbolic, like the bird smashes through the window and uh, and sort of scatters blood all over this uh, this beautiful Bible that's sort of very ornate and it's on this podium. I thought that was um, it's meant to be a bit of uh, symbology there. Yeah, I was into that part. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't. Uh... You were into it just for the mangling of an animal. <laughs> no reason. Whoa. There's, no, Roy, Roy only likes. Reasons. I think there's there would be a better way of delivering that imagery in a different way. Like, especially since, like, okay, so yeah, the thing is following her around, right? But she never complains about bad shit happening to her at work. Right? Or any of that kind of stuff. It's literally just there's a, there's a demon in my house is the thing not there's yeah, a demon following me around so why is this grow all of a sudden just doing that it's because well, she's she there can... and she, there has to be a scare at this point in time because we haven't had one for five minutes i don't know i didn't feel like it was like that i mean if he somehow sensed there's a demon demonic presence with her then you know it's through whatever mechanism she sensed that maybe she can sense that her home is the nexus of this. Well, not only that, but earlier in the episode, uh, Tomas is experiencing visions. So um, to think that maybe this this demonic energy or presence is localized just to Angela, um, I think is probably a bit of a misconception because uh, Tomas is also experiencing these, uh, these strange things. Like at the start of the episode, he sees a man sort of just wordlessly screaming at him from across um, the road. He's also having visions of Father Marcus as he performs an exorcism uh, in Rio de Janeiro, I think that is. So, yeah. so I would say the crow thing, if it leads any any leads to any demonic things, is, is based on something manipulating Tomas, as was said to him by um, that other priest. Uh, Father Marcus or the blind priest? Marcus. Yep. I think Marcus is like, you're being manipulated to be here. Right? Um, I felt like that is probably more in, 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 in line logically with what's happening in that regard. But yeah, Whatever. Because, you know, you, you have the blind guy and you know, his eye goes all fucked up. Um, well, not the blind. He's obviously not blind. But yeah, he takes off his glasses and... You know, something fucked up happens with his eye. So the demons are manipulating Marcus. I mean, Father Tomas. So the bird, I think, is more... The more logical thing was that the uh, the demons, that's part of someone manipulating Tomas, not uh, associated necessarily with um, the woman. But yeah, I was not interested at all by what was going down, apart from the, the kind of neato imagery... Stuff. Okay. okay, what about you, Roy? You seem to be maybe having a little bit more of a positive experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually a bit surprised like you about how negative Thompson's response to this was. I agree with him a lot of points, but maybe not to the extent. Like, it was it's kind of slow. Like, it wasn't really much going on. But um, I was into the imagery. I was like, I'm into the idea of the show. Mm. And maybe, again, I'm just being a bit too optimistic but 
I'm sort of hoping it picks up. Like there aren't many shows where the first episode just really takes off immediately. Mm. Well, I mean the uh, the, the standard. Um uh, according to the people who mine the data that uh, comes out of Netflix, is that uh, you take you need about four episodes before you'll decide whether you like a series or not, and uh, the pilot is always uh, a pretty bad judge of what a series will eventually turn into. Um, I'm just going to rattle off just for the sake of time because we know you've got to get out of here, Roy, um, at some stage. Uh, I'm just going to rattle off a few things, and this is what I what I really liked about this episode. Uh, I thought it had a great opening sequence, which for me recreates the atmosphere of the classic film, uh, because I love The Exorcist. I, I think it's the best horror film that has ever been made. Um, I even have my my Blu-ray assigned by Linda Blair, who was in the original Exorcist. It's just one of those films, and. For them to be able to recreate at least some of that atmosphere for the TV show, I think, is really good. Um, I like... Uh, one of the strongest things that I will say about this show, I think, that it has going for it, is it clearly establishes characters, not in a superficial way, except... There is an exception to this. Except for Angela. Angela plays the very stereotypical uh, worried mother uh, with a little bit of faith. And we'll have to see if she actually evolves as the season, like, as the season goes on. But I think when it comes to our priests, Father Tomas and Father Marcus, they, their motivations are clear. The characters are clear. Then they're engaging characters as well. Like I like Father Tomas's, uh, apparent con- conflict in his life. Like his sister sees this envelope. It appears to be a love letter. And she says to him, like, look, you know, if you want to be a priest, be a priest. If you want to be a man, be a man. You can't be both. And then, you know, we go over to Father Marcus and there's a scene where he's exercising a child. And the other priest, the head priest sent from the Vatican, uh, is about to put a stop to it. And Marcus pulls a gun on him and, you know, clearly says, look, I'm here. I'm helping this child. And no matter what earthly force comes to stop me, it's not going to stop me. So I think both of those characters are very clear and defined and the polar opposites of each other. So I kind of, um, I, I felt that at least in this first episode, the characterization is really, really strong uh, for our two main protagonists. I think that's important because I don't know, I, I think it's important because it doesn't feel like it's forced down my throat. It feels natural and it's good to see some, um, some good characterization on TV that does take its time to, to play out a little bit. I'll also agree with your point, uh, Roy there, that the imagery is just gorgeous in this. Uh, I am, if you've ever listened to these podcasts before, you know, I'm an atheist through and through, uh, but I love, uh, religious imagery. Uh, it always works really, really well in fiction, uh, especially in this. It, it just, um, it really helps to create this ambiance. Like the, the first sequence when the dog is running through the rubbish and, you know, the, the priest is walking up the sort of cobblestone road and, you know, all that sort of stuff. I, I really like it. Um, what about, uh, what about you, uh, Tommy? You don't see any of that characterization? It's still sort of boring for those characters for you? I'm not getting any of that characterization. You are. Everyone seems, at, at least th- this far into the show, they are pretty typical. And what about yourself, Roy? In regard to the characterization? Yeah. 
I think I'm going to have to lean towards Thompson's opinion on this one. Big shot there. (laughs) I'm seeing lots of room for the characters to grow, more so than in, say, six. Yep. Like, definitely some interesting things could happen. There's there's definitely more potential. I'll I'll give you that. Yeah. But at the moment, none of the characters jumped out at me and made me think, oh, that's unusual, or, you know, I'm into this guy. Yep, yep. I have a feeling that you're going to really uh, dig on Father Marcus. I think that's going to be your character. He's the exorcist, right? Yeah, he's the exorcist. Yep. Well, Well, maybe if he does more exorcism and gets up on that shit, then we'll see. The sequence with the child when the demon basically, like, Father Marcus fails. Like, he can't get the the demon out and the demon just destroys the boy's body. Very hard scene to watch. But at the end of it, like, when he's weeping over the child, like, I thought, very brutal scene, but a very good scene. What do you think about that, Roy? Yeah, I I was really into it. I mean... I wasn't expecting him to, well, one, fail, or two, get really upset about it, like like he did. Yep. And really, all right. No, I thought he'd be more than that. Like, like I, I maybe it was just my headspace at the time. But I was like, yeah, this guy's going to fail, and then he's going to, because maybe this is just the stereotype for me that normally happens. But it's just like he's going to fail, and that's why he hasn't he isn't around and this is in the past and yeah like I kind of just saw everything as soon as uh, um, Tomas was in the scene and he was saying hey can't you hear me or whatever I'm like okay so this is a dream and this is probably in the past and that guy is probably not not like he's probably now a recluse and Thomas has to seek him out it's a very cliche thing that happens like all the time, and maybe that's yeah, why that, I'm not that so into it. Pretty, and if that yeah, took you guys off guard, then maybe that's why well, you appreciate this episode more. Well, pretty, maybe not off guard is a word, but yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't say it took me off guard. I just thought it was fitting. I just thought him like weeping over the boy, uh, and you know the, the the way that they set that scene up, like it is gory. Like it, it did shock me. Um, I will say when this, the kid look, turned his head around. Those dream sequences and whatever, they're really good. They're really well executed. Yeah, yeah. Beautifully um, beautifully put together and, and realized and the angles and everything, all of it. It was um, it was pretty exceptional. Sorry, Roy, you were about to say something? Oh, I, I just mentioned I, I liked the part where the, the demon turned the kid's head around. Uh, yeah, yeah, spun it around. Because yeah. that, uh, what, what that also demonstrates, though, is that the enemy is prepared. Like, they're not... It, it almost seems like a, a human trying to stop a force like that is just impossible, which I think adds to um, a little bit more of the tension as well. It's like, how do these guys possibly think that they'd be able to um, they'd be able to stop a demon? the The family itself, I think, is a little bit too normal. Um, but may like again, this is the first episode. We may see some a little bit of growth um, later on in future episodes with those characters. Well, they have a dad basically a vegetable. That's pretty different. Yeah, I, that, I did like that. I, I'm great um, that you brought that up because I really like that scene when Tomas is talking to Kat 
After oh, she, excellent too, actually. She yeah. really got in, in his face and she's like, look, he's a potato, he, he's retarded, he, he's not going to be able to to function, why should I give a shit? And Tomas explains, like he, he tells this story about a comatose patient who heard everything. And he said, you know, don't wave your, your hands, uh, your damn hands in front of your father's face. And it's really good. I I think it, it sets up a nice uh, relationship between Tomas and this family. Um, and yeah, really, really well executed scene. Uh, if you guys have anything else to add, Tommy, uh, your summation of the episode, probably. Uh, good imagery, but good imagery and there are a few good scenes, but overall the characters thus far are very typical and, and all of the stuff that has happened is very typical. And for that reason, I was bored. What about yourself, Roy? Um, the imagery and the premise of the show is interesting enough for me to um, be looking forward to the next episode. Mm. Um, I'd have to say that, I, again, I agree with Tommy. The imagery is really cool. Or I think either one of you made that point, but I agree with whoever made it. I think the imagery is cool. Like you said, Roy, I like the premise of the show and I think the characters have room to grow and grow in ways that I'll like uh, as the episodes go on. Uh, so next up, we're going to have... Uh, do you guys want the Legion or the Expanse? Let's go with the Expanse. I feel like talking about the Expanse. We... No, I'll go Legion. I want to talk about the Expanse last because that's a better show. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so Legion, uh, this is the, the, the IMDB synopsis sucks ass. So, uh, this is basically the first X-Men spinoff show. I think Fox has another one in the works that they're looking to put together. Uh, it's basically, uh, we're, we're dropped in the middle of a character. His name is David Haller. He seems to be paranoid schizophrenic with a few overtones of some superhero powers. And uh, we find him just in the mess of uh, a mental institution. Uh, and it sort of plays between that and his interrogation. Um, the episode is very non-linear. And I think that is fitting for a character that is suffering from schizophrenia. Now, I had two thoughts on this. Either the director slash writer does not know what the fuck they are doing and they created a convoluted mess, or it was all done in, on purpose to make you feel, uh, to emphasize with this character who's suffering from schizophrenia and a slip with reality. Tommy, which option do you think is the, is the correct one? Uh, by design or a fuck I think up? it's by design. Yep. Because they, they question, the, the main character to basically to the audience questions the reality of what is happening. Um, and it's made by FX. And FX are, are quite good at doing... Because um, FX also do like The Walking Dead and stuff, right? Uh, no, that's AMC. Oh, who does F, what does FX do? They do something uh, else that's... Uh, they've got American Horror Story is one of their big ones. Okay. So let's not forget about what I just said. Um, 
Uh, but uh, Sons of Anarchy, Fargo. Okay, uh, so Fargo is a good example. So um, they 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 use a lot of um, like camera tricks and and lots of like cool stylistic stuff in the production. At least if you know the d- directors are anything to go uh, or whatever to go by. Um, and I am almost sure, given you know the, the nonsense that happened and the way it happened, that this was all kind of purposefully done because they just want to put you in the shoes of that character because he's confused as fuck as well. Yep. At the end of it, you just see all these guys, and I assume if you have any, if you have a pre-established knowledge, you know what's going on. Like those guys are probably just part of Legion, right? All those characters at the end. Well, I. I'm not sure. Like, I, I think that could very well be a possibility. Um, there are a few sort of characters that pop up here and there that seem a little bit out of place. Like, I'm at this point, I'm not convinced that many people exist at all. Uh, like, to, like his sister or his rescuer or just they all have these really distinct looks that there's sort of no conformity, which is why I found it hard to nail down what. Um, uh, period that this play that this show is set in is it in the past is it in the future like his sister is wearing a dress that very much reminds me of the 1960s but then the girl who rescues him she looks very modern and then you know Aubrey Plaza's character kind of looks like she was from the early 90s and then you've got the uh the African-American guy with the Tommy gun and it it doesn't yeah it all sort of um I, I at this moment I would assume that nearly everyone could just be in his head. Yeah, I mean I think that that the difference in style of each of those characters that show up to save him I think lends itself more to the idea that these are all I um, personalities within Legion. Yeah. Um, because you know that's sort of how that works I think with with multiple personality disorder or whatever. You you call it? I can't remember, but yeah, no, it is. It's multiple personality disorder, and a little bit of extra trivia. It's mostly been debunked as an actual condition now. Yeah, I remember. Um, I mean, this is a huge aside, but I'll I'll try to be really quick. I remember, there's a social worker that that did the podcast that I used to listen to, and he worked at a um, mental health facility, and he was saying he was basically saying like that multi multiple personality order disorder stuff is nonsense because. You, you like they'd always have like some kind of vice, like you know drugs or whatever. And they'd say they had multiple personalities, and then he'd be like, "Oh, do you want some drugs? I'll only give it to the, you know this one guy." He's like, "Oh yeah, no, I don't have it." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, as soon as you offer them a thing that they want, the multiple personalities goes away, and that kind of seems to debunk the sort of the handles. Just like yeah, no, that thing does doesn't exist. Fuck it. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of serial killers uh, from the uh, the seventies, like right up until the modern era now they all try to pull the multiple personality syndrome. And then movies like Psycho made it very popular, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Roy, what do you think of the, the non-linear way of telling this story? Is it annoying, or are you digging it? I'm really digging it, because, and that was actually part of one of the few things that really struck me about this show, in that it's not trying to hold my hand. Like, it's not Arrow, it's not, I can't even remember those other shitty shows we watched <laughs> Flash towards the end, uh, like, after season one. Like, by giving it this non-linear, 
confusing way, it really gets us into the mind of the character. And, like, it makes me feel like I have to put something into the show to get something out of it. Yep. Rather than I'm just being spoon-fed this bullshit. I, I would, and I appreciate that about a show. I'd absolutely agree with you on that. And it's great. Um, someone once told me, like, when I, I first started doing a little bit of creative writing, they said, there are books that tell you how to feel, and then there are books that show you how to feel. I think this 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 does a lot more showing than telling. You know, it's not holding your hand. It's not walking you through piece by piece by piece. It's like... If you are interested in this, you're going to have to follow the journey along with us. And I do like that. Uh, for If we're speaking about the general audience um, who may listen to our show to, to get our opinions on things, I think people are going to be disinterested in the show if they can't put up with that. I mean, that's going to be a massive roadblock. If you can't deal with a non-linear way of telling a story, an example of that would be something along the lines of, say, Fight Club, probably the best example. If you hated Fight Club, then this show is probably going to really piss you off. Um, I really like the use of visuals in this. Uh, there's sort of this weird little dance sequence at one stage. There's a scene where you see some of his powers... Um, I thought those those moments were visually striking. Like, and then just simple things like his sister's pastel purple flower dress in, in that sort of setting. It just uh, all of that makes for a very visually interesting show, which I thought was pretty cool. And it's not just the the props and the sets and stuff that they use. It's also how they use cuts and, and fades and things like that. The opening sequence, which is about what, like five minutes long of just the, the progression of um, the main character growing up. Yep. They use a lot of fades and, like, they fade from one object into another throughout his life and things, and in, in a way where it kind of all connects. Yep. And certain things go back to the way before. And I thought, like, there was a moment where, like, he's shaking, like, at the very end, he's shaking this can of pills. And I thought that was going to be like kind of this full circle thing where he's um, cause he's in this kind of vulnerable position where he's kind of aligned with a lot of other people. And, and that was meant to represent him, you know, shake it was like, it was very reminiscent of him sh- shaking a, um, as a baby, how they'd shake a rattle. Yep. Stuff like that. But I don't think they actually did the rattling thing as a baby. So there's not a clear connection in terms of um, imagery and, and metaphor, but it, it's that kind of stuff we'll talk about in this show when we're talking about, um, the way they use imagery and stuff. It's actually good really that, you, that you brought that up as well. I liked uh, right at the end of that sequence. Like, if you follow that sequence piece by piece, it, it was very cool that they managed to give you a backstory without any dialogue, and they do it quickly, which I really appreciate when it comes to a superhero origin. Uh, now... And there's some, some cool... And there's here, just something you add quick... There's, there's some neat things where, like, there's a lot of... Because it, like, happens in, in slow-mo. The stuff that happens in these sequences as well, I think. And so there's some, so there's some times where, it, where they'll use a thing where, like, some stuff will happen faster than other stuff in the, in the same scene and things like that. Yeah. And it's neat to see that kind of stuff being employed because it, it's meant to draw your eyes to a specific thing and emphasize 
certain stuff that is happening. Yeah, well, so like if you a, if, if you appreciate that kind of stuff in filmmaking, then you're going to like Legion, I think, because it's filled with that kind of stuff throughout yeah, the show. Because at the end, like uh, especially the end tableau where he's sort of sta- sitting in the middle and all of these angry voices are around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know those those I loved how they're visual cues. It's like this is what the character is about. I fucking love that. Um, it's not. I would not say that this is a show for stupid people. Like, you are going to have to have a monica of intelligence to be able to understand what's going on. Um, the other thing I want to quickly mention, this is a comic book show. Uh, we have so many comic book shows now, it's, it's fucking ridiculous. Uh, nearly to the point of oversaturation, uh, oversaturation. In fact, it's probably at the point nearly? now... Yeah, I was just about to say, it's probably at the point now of oversaturation. Probably. How- <laughs> almost almost purely because of the CW, though. Yeah, not... Well, yeah, the CW, um, we've got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they've got an Inhuman show, two X-Men shows, everyone trying to jump onto the superhero thing at the moment, plus all the films. So we're definitely... Yeah, but if it wasn't point. for the CW, we'd be at, like, a good level, because... Yeah, that's true. Like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that kind of stuff exist in different fronts, and they do different things. Yes. Like, you have Preacher, which is sort of a superhero show, but it's so different from everything else. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., very different from all the other stuff. Jessica Jones, etc. Legion. They're all very different. The CW just has this fucking block yep. of rubbish Also, without just them, sits there. The standard of the shows would be so much higher. Yeah, CW drives uh. quite a bit. I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true because I well, mean, Gotham are, is technically are, was technically yeah, not CW though. Yeah, so. Gotham Gotham was Fox, and then you got really great shows like Daredevil, which uh, are produced separately. So I think it's the creative team and the executives behind a particular show uh, as to whether like a genre succeeds or fails. I don't think I think a genre is just a genre. I don't think people can bring it elevated or lower it. I think it, it's piece by piece by piece. Um, just quickly, and we'll, we'll have to move on, but just quickly, if you are a comic book fan and that's what you're jonesing for, um, this show does have a couple of comic book references in there. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit of one. Uh, now, fuck you, Roy, you threw me off. Um, with the superhero stuff in this show, they mention mutants, so if you're familiar with the X-Men, uh, they do show you a couple of little sequences with powers, uh... I would say if you're hoping for a standard colourful costume superhero show, if you're you're loving the CW stuff, which there are people who do like it, uh, this isn't going to be the show for you because it's a slow burn superhero psychology thriller and it's not going to really satisfy people who, uh, who are desperately into the comics. I will say, fair warning though, if you go onto Wikipedia or something like that and look up the history of the character of Legion... Um, you're going to ruin the show for yourself, so don't do that. That's just a, a fair warning, because there are some things about his origins, uh, which I think they're going to play out in the show at some stage, um, that if you find out, you, it, it's going to be ruined for you. Like, I'm a comic book nerd, I've already read all these stories, so it doesn't matter to me, but uh, just fair warning there. Um, so we'll move on from that. Uh, Tommy, what are your final thoughts? And then I'll jump to you, Roy. Legion was really good. A lot of cool imagery. There's some cool action stuff. Like, the, the final set piece, although you can tell that it's CGI, was not that great. Yep. 
it was kind of cool to see the soldiers get just flung. Yeah. Just, just comically just... flung into the distance. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff where you're just going to be really confused about what is happening, but visually it's neat enough, and there's a lot of cute little gags and little things. Like, there's a, the, you know, the, there's one character who's like, don't touch me. So, you know, she dates the main character, and they have this little, this, this moment where they're, they're, they're holding a... Um, a pillow between like a, them. A cloth or, or something between yeah. them. Oh, uh, yeah, I thought that was cute. It's very cute. Very cute. Very cute. You know, things like that. And there's a couple of other instances of, of stuff like that that happened throughout the show. And, uh, yeah, it's well acted. I think there's a lot of, um, at least for the main character, a lot of depth. I don't know about the auxiliary characters, but I think they're going to be... I think they're designed to be more two-dimensional just by the nature of of superheroes and powers and and, and uh, multiple personality disorders and stuff like that, but we'll see. Yep. Uh, what about yourself, Roy? One thing that really struck me about this show is that it has unusual music choices. Like, they haven't gone with the usual symphonic dribbles or popular whatever. They had stuff which I wouldn't expect to hear in TV show, and I think it really helps set the tone of the show, like the, um, you know, the choices of music they made, and I, um, I appreciate that. I like it. I like, like we mentioned earlier, this is not going to be a show for dumb people. Yep. I really can't uh, add anything else there. I think you guys summed it up fairly well. Just a quick warning, if, um, if you're into a, if you're looking for a capes and tights show, this isn't it. Go, um, go check out Sank on the CW. All right, moving forward to our second last show for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It is The Expanse. This is Season 2, Episode 1. The episode's called Safe. Unlikely allies Joe Miller and the crew of the... Oh, I can't remember what the ship... How to pronounce it. Roshinante? The Roshinante. Rossinante. Rossinante, thank you, Tommy. Led by Jim Holden, uncover more about the conspiracy to release the proto molecule on Eros Station. It's great just to be back with this show. And the one thing that I thought for me, and then I'll let you guys have a bit of a, a go at this because I think I've eclipsed this episode. Uh, it goes. What I loved about this was that I got to see something that I've been waiting for since I started watching this series. I got to see some cool-ass Mars tech. I got to see them on Mars, and I got so much Mars. I just wanted Mars, and I got Mars. Not too much. Not too you much, but enough. Mars, kidding me? No, there, there's really heaps there. Mars. There's heat. You see their equipment. You see their weapons capabilities. You see them starting to terraform the planet, and you can you also find out how far along they are in terraforming, and because of Earth, and because of the potential war with Earth, they had to militarize very quickly, very, and they had to put all their money into that. And so, at uh, the character that we're introduced to, uh, which is this kick-ass Mars Commander uh, New Zealand lady, I'm trying to find her name here because uh, I did have it written down, Bobby Draper. I thought that that whole little sequence was cool. It's just a taste, but for me it's satisfied. It's satisfied for the time being. Um, I love I love their tech. I think it looks so cool. And just when she's like, she's got her photo up, 
she's got a she's looking at the the terraforming that they're doing and she extrapolates a hundred years into the future and you can sort of see what they're aiming for i i don't know i thought that little sequence said a lot about mars maybe i was just so hoping for mars stuff that i just loved whatever they gave me yeah i was about to ask are you more excited about this because you had to wait the whole season uh, I mean, yes and no. I, I, they purposely kept Mars, I think, off the books in the first season. And we, we so did get to see the battleship and the Rossi is a uh, Mars ship. Yeah, that is true. That that is true. I will give you that. But we haven't actually got a look at Mars yet, and we got a, a, a at least a little bit of a tease of Mars. I mean, like I'd like to like go into their cities and see how they live, but. I just thought it was cool to see some Mars action uh, for a change. Uh, Roy, what did you love about this episode? I really loved this episode because the stakes just keep getting higher. Yep. But it's not only that, because the show can have big stakes and still be really shit, a la Arrow, flat. But this show just, like, it's got the... The sort of far-reaching political intrigue, like you've got these people in like the UN Council or whatever, and then you've got people in the thick of it, which is the people on the Rossi. And it's not only all that, but the characters are just so distinct. They've all got their very specific personalities that really just bring it all together. Well, not only that uh, as well, like uh, as far as up in the stakes, which I totally agree with you on, uh, we find out the molecule is extraterrestrial. Yeah, I mean, maybe I just assumed this, but I thought we already knew that. Well, I, I don't think I mean, we do. I think, yeah, no, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't remember getting that impression in the first season and the yeah. characters seem to be making a big enough deal of it that, um, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure the impression that you were meant to get was that this was manufactured by Earth mm. or, you know, that guy. Um, I can't recall. But um, I think that was, that was, yeah. But I mean, like, it, it makes way more sense given, um, you know, what, we, what we've seen of it in this new context. It makes a lot more sense for it to be extra solar, as they put it. Yeah, yeah. You, you're probably right. They didn't say it, but I, I think I just had this sort of suspicion that it would turn out to be aliens. Mm. Yeah. The uh, we're also seeing like an uptick in what's going on with the uh, the plot to create um, all out interplanetary war. I think that's the, it's pretty obvious that that's where this is all going uh, with the assassination of Christian or the attempted assassination, I should say of Christian straight it like I think it's in within the first 20 minutes where they try and blow love up it. her shuttle. Love it how her code name is the Archangel. Yes. She's yes. such a badass. Best. Because she's and and quite obvious like through this episode you've got people on the UN council whose dicks are incredibly hard to start uh this war and she is the only one that and, and she does it in such a political way, too. That's what I love about the character. That's what I love about the performance. She's like, you know, I know this captain on this ship. And since I knew him in the academy and we debated morality and, you know, the other captain's like, he wasn't in the academy. 
What's that bullshit? Yeah, I was just like, why didn't you bring up that before? Cause no, because he, because she's trying to do something he wants. Yeah, they don't want war. Yeah, uh, like there's so far it seems like the the president or whatever you want to call him of the UN and one of the uh, the fleet commanders they want that war to start. Like they are very very excited about getting that war started. Uh, but yeah, the the captain that she was speaking with in the bathroom and and herself they don't want to see war. They know what it will end. Like they know how it will end. Um, you guys are right, but that that the scene was awesome though because she just drops it like it was nothing. The acting yeah. is so good. It's so getting good. At. Like it's just fucking it's amazing. fantastic. It seems so crazy for me. Like the first time I saw that actress in a movie was X Men Three. You, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, and speaking of the acting, got to bring this one up. Uh, the eventual confrontation between. Uh, Amos and Joe Miller. Uh, Joe Miller is Thomas Jane's character. I thought that was quite a nice little uh, interaction that came to a head, but that led to an even better scene at the end of the episode where they like sit down and share a meal together. A little bit cliche, but it was good. Yeah, I, I think it was cliche, but the uh, they sort of create this little element of tension between the two characters. Like, is he going to let him sit down? Are they going to have a fight? Um, because, like the the pilot said, like, we need to sit down. We need to have a meal. We need to sort of catch our breath. And, like, I mean, the the intention was that these guys on the ship, they need to bond in order to save the, the known solar system. Um, and what I, I like about that, was, that scene? What'd you like about it? They excluded all the new arrivals. Cause fuck those guys. No one cares about them. Oh yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, fuck them. Just, uh, they're just not important enough characters to get a seat on this table. Whatever. Yep, it's just those guys. I but there weren't any more seats on the table anyway. Yeah, that's true. But you know, like you know, the uh, gesture yeah, was like those guys. This thing, but, <laughs> but it's like those characters aren't important. No. So we're not. They're not on the A team. It doesn't matter. Yeah, they're not the A team. Jane's basically on the A team now. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe as of. Oh, I won't say anything. Yeah, don't, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, he was part of the A-team from the start. He was just not, like, there. They just I hadn't love, been put yeah. together yet. I love how there are so many characters who are desperately trying to hold off war, yet there are all these, uh, like, especially Lieutenant Draper in the Mars um, unit. She's like, we've got to get this war started. We've got to get terraforming happening, and we're going to do that by war. I'm like, no, you idiot. They're, if you go to war... They blow up Mars, you, and and your captain is trying to explain that to you. You know, it's like this whole fucking solar system's on a knife edge on one side. But you've I got think very I think they just, yeah, I think they did a good job though in establishing the fact that she's a meathead. Yep. So, but she she also has a stake in it. Like her family were a terraformers, and you know she was obviously meant to inherit. You know a nicely terraformed part of Mars and that's not going to happen and she hates Earth for it. So, like, her motivation makes a lot of sense to me. I just think it's cool that, yeah, you've got the, the comparison um, between these these sort of two factions. Uh, and then our guys, like, I think of the, the small team, um, they're our guys. Like, they're they're the ones that everyone's sort of cheering for um, because they they sort of know more of the story than the rest of us. Well, they're the small element that's that's caught in the middle of all of these big machinations. Yeah. 
Um, and they're trying to fix stuff, yeah. It's almost, it's almost like Lord of the Rings. You know, small group of people, tremendous odds all around them. They've sort of got to struggle. It's the old, the old monomyth rearing its head. Mm. Uh, we haven't heard from you, Roy. Talk, talk about this episode. Well, I've talked about this episode a bit. No, oh. you haven't heard from me. <laughs> here's what I love. Okay, so fuck Roy since he's being like this, right? Here's, yeah, here's the thing I loved about this episode. <laughs> okay? Uh, um, I love... Tell everyone to get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I love the diversity is continuing to be shown on the show even more. The second, the second Admiral dude or whatever, he's a Vietnamese guy because his name is Nguyen. I don't think he's going to have a, much of a big impact on the show, but it's just like, it's just a small thing where diversity is just a thing no one really cares. There's a Vietnamese guy that's like part of like this massive UN Earth fleet, and he's, you know, like pretty high up there. And, you know, we have, we have the Kiwi chick who's the badass, and even in within her group, I think everyone is from a different, everyone has a different accent there. Yeah. So I like that about the show. And I, the fact that during during the um the that, that boardroom scene where they're talk they're uh they're talking about whether or not they should engage with this other Martian ships and what they're gonna do, whether they they should actually start the war and all that kind of stuff, it's made more tense by the fact that light has a certain speed and and stuff and, and communication on that in that a large amount of space oh, is, yeah, that's, is has um requires more time. It's not yeah, instantaneous a, as it is. Something on Earth, I wanted right? to mention. I, and it's I really for setting up tension yeah. because they they just get a thing. It's like this happened fucking twenty minutes ago. What are we gonna do? Yeah. And it's just brilliant for just setting up this tension because they're arguing and they just don't have the information because the the, the events that are taking place are happening so far from Earth that it that the light from the the communication. Or the you know the radio waves that they're going to send or whatever just physically cannot get to Earth in time, yep. and because of that, there's this delay in communication and it's organic and it's real and the tension and you just feel it. It's so good. It uh, it reminds me of like uh, World War Two. You know they didn't have an instant communication. They had to courier things. They had to send things over telegraphs and things like that. Like it, communication leads to horrible like lack of instantaneous communication leads to horrible things and you know massive amounts of organic tension that's built so totally agree with that um roy do you want to add some final thoughts man yeah to this I episode mean, as we move forward it was so good that they not only include things like that like you know light takes 20 minutes to get from earth to wherever this is going on not only did they include it but then they use it in the story like they use it you know just not you know let's be correct but you know advances the story like thompson said it really brings something extra there and you know we don't see many shows doing things like this and i um i really like their depiction of you know like space walking and you know zero gravity like when they have to say maneuver ships around the um, momentum stays for the people in the ship and says, so like, look, if we're not strapped down, we're going to get fucked up. Yeah. And, yeah. like, the effects, like, as much as I wanted to see those two ships blow each other up, 
right? Because, you know, the, the effects in this show are just great. They are. Yes. Do you think that's better this season than it was last season? Maybe it's just because they have more space stuff happening. Yeah, but I, I feel like got... for whatever reason, the ships and stuff and anything in space looks better. Well, they uh, after the positive reviews of season one, naturally what happens within a, a TV show is that its host company puts more money into it, basically. Yeah, I assume they've got more money. Yeah, you can negotiate for more money after a successful first season. Yeah, another, every another, time I was so happy whenever they got to space, because I knew I was going to look at something cool, even if it was yeah. just ships rotating in space. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Another thing I remember, like another, you know, correct science they got was when the um, Holden and the woman are in doing their space thing and they're, you know, messing with the... That's right, they're loading the proto-matter or whatever into the missile to hide it, right? Yeah. And they wanted to talk to each other secretly, so they turned off their radios and they touched their helmets together. I thought that was yeah, neat. that was awesome, yeah. Yep. And just lots of little things like that. It's a great show. Fantastic. I agree with you both. If you're not watching The Expanse, do so. The great thing about uh, Netflix is The Expanse is on uh, season one. So if you need to catch up uh, and you live in Australia, uh, check out uh, The Expanse on Netflix. It's worth your time. All right, just before we move on, I, w- I want to extrapolate on what Roy said. I don't think he delved into this deeply enough. But the <laughs> okay. reason that that specific thing was so good in terms of the show and what it meant for the story and everything was that Again, like it's a science thing that makes sense, but it also, in terms of the story thing, added something there. Like they, they had to have this connection. So, like, they the, the two characters had to get really intimate to do that in the first place, right? And that just adds to the the um, development of those two characters being more intimate together. Yeah, which set up them, you know, banging later on. Um, Space but that, but that helped out because. Be, to do that in space, I had to get intimate and, you know, you could tell these characters were, were okay and, you know, becoming more intimate and that kind of stuff. So not only is the science, science fiction good and accurate, but it's used as a storytelling device. Yeah. And yeah, used again, to like with enhance the, um, the, the 20 scene. Delay. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, so Roy is going to duck off for about 10-odd minutes as uh, myself and Tommy jump back in with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which we haven't talked about since its mid-season break. Tommy, mm-hmm. I hope I'm right about this. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Season 4, Episode 9, Broken Promises. Sounds about right. Good, yep. good, good, good. Uh, okay, so this episode, Broken Promises, shows you just how fucking vile xenophobia is. Uh, when Senator Nadir confronts her brother that's just gone through terogenesis and he may in fact be an inhuman should read the official synopsis uh though colson (laughs) may (laughs) though colson i just wanted to quickly chuck in that xenophobia comment because i want to talk about it later it's very important yeah uh though colson and may are growing closer colson remains unaware of the dark secret may is hiding beneath the surface uh, meanwhile, Ada is unrelenting in her search for the Dark Hold. Uh, so, Tommy, did you are you still digging the whole LMD storyline after leaving Ghost Rider behind? I want to say, still love Age of the Shields. It's still a comfort show for me where I just go in and I just have a good time. No matter yeah. what is happening in this episode, there's a lot of stuff I loved, even though it can be considered kind of 
lame or whatever, don't care because they kept talking about it was it was such a B movie this episode because it was kind of like this horror thing like people didn't know what was going on and then Mac and kept going on about how uh, oh the robots uh, coming to kill him yeah it's like have you not seen the Terminator or like any movie in the nineties the ter- the robots always come out to get you man. The amount Why are you of ro- so stupid? What's wrong with you? <laughs> the the amount of pop culture robot references in that was oh, crazy. We got Terminator, Terminator Salvation, Small Wonder. Yeah, Salvation. Now, now Small Wonder, you, you probably wouldn't know this one, but Small Wonder was a 1980s TV show about a guy who put together a robot child. It was called Small Wonder. So when he taps... Fits on the back and says "small wonder." That's how fucking obscure shit got. That's me. Um, what else was there? There was uh, maximum overdrive when Ada remotely controlled one of the Quinjets. Maximum overdrive was a Stephen King film from the eighties. It just went on and on. Like there were so many little references in there uh, that if you're a pop culture buff like me, you're gonna uh, you're gonna really enjoy them. Uh, it was sad, though. It was a bit of a sad episode, like, seeing Ada attack everyone and, you know, that No, that I felt, I felt really good about it because I was just like, this is... I remember we talking about this uh, before uh, the break, but I was... But you had a bit of... You had a few misgivings about Ada, and I was like, oh, no, she's, she's clearly evil. She killed the guy. I'm like, no, nah, it's too obvious. She's not going to be evil. And I feel kind of dumb because, you know, it was, it was kind of obvious if... If you're going with the assumption that Ada wasn't evil, it was so obvious who was. Yep. But I didn't pick it out until it happened. I'm like, oh my god, obviously. Yeah, and I know. Saw, I, so, I was the so, same. Essentially, um, Dr. Radcliffe, uh, it is revealed that he is the evil guy, and yep. he wanted the dark hole. But he, he was, right from the get-go, he wanted he planned it out to do uh, it very in, in, in using subterfuge. And he was, you know, reprogrammed Ada to do his bidding and stuff like that. And he has a new Ada. He has two of them, which means yep. he could probably have more Old later model, on. And, and it's just going to be a fucking clusterfuck of robots fucking shit up. Yep. Um, but yeah, and then, so that was the, the stuff that happened on the base. Um, her plan ultimately fails because Fitz, um, he made a comment about like, yeah, we built this backup for the base in case the, in case the base got hacked because it, it does all the time. Yeah. I just love there, just love the are, delivery of that line. There are a couple of references in the show where they sort of they're like uh, our systems get hacked once a you know once a year. Our base gets infiltrated all the time. Like they they actually acknowledge that, which is sort of like this whole meta joke, which I don't think gets acknowledged enough uh, in, in a show like that. So I, I appreciated the humor there. Uh, Ratcliffe, I, I, I'm with you, man. I should have fucking completely picked it, but they threw up a red herring and we both bought into that very, very No, you bought into it. I didn't. Let's get this clear. So I'm, my prediction in the history of the show is like one in ten. All right. So I've got one at least. I've got one on the board. Fair fair enough. Fair enough. But neither of us picked Because I knew Ada was clean. I knew it. Yep. But we, neither of us picked Radcliffe. Yeah, which was, yeah, we fucked up on yeah, that count. We did. The uh, obvious I, in hindsight, Jesus Christ. I think Radcliffe is a is perfect choice for, and I wouldn't even call him a villain. Like, who knows what he wants to do with the Dark Home? Like, the Dark Home... Well, he wants oh, he wants unlimited life. Like, he's as I, much of a villain as 
yeah. anyone else is where the dark hold is. So I mean, I, I'm sitting there going, a demon is sending you assholes information. This is not technology. What are you doing? No one is sort of investigating where the dark home comes from or what what's involved with it. I'm like if Ghost Rider was involved in all of this, you know, some evil darkness is sitting there like playing these people, manipulating them, and they think they're, you know, they're. It's almost like it gives you what you want. It gives you all the information you want, but I'm sure the, the purposes are nefarious. Um, some of the stuff that I, I loved about this episode especially was the xenophobic themes. This came from Senator Nadir when she sort of has a confrontation with her brother after he's cold through. as ice, that chick, man. Jesus oh, Christ. Oh, fuck she is. Um, so they go through... Uh, the brother went through terror genesis and she leads him out to be shot in the back of the head. And has a moment of um, of indecision because he's like, look, I, I'm not displaying any powers. I was in that, that cocoon for seven months. I can't be infected uh, with, um, with the inhuman uh, disease. And she buys it. She's like, yes, that, that's right. And then he gets attacked, displays his powers. She takes him up into the helicopter and shoots him in the guts. That, yep. that is the power that is the power of racism and xenophobia, man. Right fucking there. Right there. Very stupid to shoot a gun in a helicopter. Yo, she doesn't care. She just wants to kill she just wants to kill the mutant. I mean inhuman, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> That's the um, other show. The, the other thing we we, we we came to realise was that um, her brother is the Flash. He's a speedster, yeah. Or a speedster, I guess. Probably not or as is, quick. Or is he? Because at the end of the episode where his yeah, body right, is sinking... That's right, he gets again. He, 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 ter- yeah. Yeah. He, he goes through Terragenesis again. So I, I'm looking forward to that. I want yeah, him to come back Yeah, that'd be super and, cool if he, if he just comes back with a completely new superpower. Oh, and I hope he gets Like every revenge. time he dies, he just gets a new superpower. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty fucking cool. That'd be super neat. Um, oh, I love now, this fucking show, man. It's so dumb, I just... Oh. This is something I want to bring up. Uh, when we did our original run of the, the Modern Meltdown podcast, we talked about... Well, you guys talked about how oversight was a good thing um, for the superheroes. Uh, the Sokovia Accords, I'm talking about specifically. And I said, well, I don't think a UN-run thing would be a good idea because the UN is, is full of bullshit. But I did have to concede to you guys that some oversight would be necessary. However, we didn't, felt... we didn't say oversight, you know, in like the idea in and of itself was the, bad. In, yeah. the idea Which in I, and of itself is okay, but like the way that yep. they did it in, in in Civil War may not be the way to go. But but yep. oversight in and of itself is okay, yep. especially I, now that the UN is trying to start a war with Mars. Yeah, what <laughs> Thanks, the fuck? Calm uh, the down, UN. So yeah, I I can see to to that point, but I felt a little bit validated at least when when talking about the Sokovia Accords because uh, Nadir hides behind them like that's exactly what she does when the director of Shield and Quake uh, and um, Simmons they all rock up to rescue Nadir's brother. She says, "Is this UN sanctioned? Have you gone through the proper channels?" And that's the thing about those fucking accords is they will hold heroes back and they will hold shield back because they were, they had to turn around and walk out the door. Like that's, that's a very important point in this episode. The only reason that they're allowed to turn around is because there's gunfire. 
Otherwise, they would have had to walk out the fucking door. And Senator Nadir knows that, and that's why the Sokovia Accords is such a dangerous thing that is now. Well, that's that's one kind of low key example, but I mean, I could probably cite a lot of others that are positive for oversight, right? That's, I think, in general, my my argument, like you're saying, like there is oversight has a small thing where it is better not to have it in this instance. Yes, but I think overall, it's still better to have oversight. Yes, I do concede that point to you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. valid. Like, they couldn't get in. They got fucked over by the yeah. law. Yeah, they did. They oh. were like, okay, Sokovia Accord says it's not UN sanctions. You have to turn around and go home. Um, the other thing I want to... The only other note that I have here that I wanted to talk about is Mac cuts off Ada's head with a fucking shotgun axe. Love, exactly I, I love how... that shotgun axe. Every time it shows up, I'm like, <laughs> yes! That's here exactly... we go. Fun times. That's exactly how I wrote that note. So that was that was pretty cool. Uh, again, it's a it's a quality show. It has been for a long time. Uh, I think a lot more people should get into it. Season uh, two, I think, good. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's benefiting from the later time slot. They get to be a little bit more violent, and I think that works for the show, as opposed yeah. to detract from it. You know, when Nadir does shoot her brother in the guts, like she's sprayed with blood, it's very visceral, it's very violent, it's very savage, and I think those oh, those scenes need to be like that. So, yeah, I, I think uh, it's benefiting from a later time slot. Not for its ratings, however, um, which are not looking too good, but, um, you know, there's always Netflix. Uh, Tommy, yeah. if, do you have anything else to that. add, buddy? Uh, no, it's just been a good time. I love Shields. Um... And I'm keen to see what happens next, especially with um, Senator, Senator Nadir's brother. Yep. Because um, that has some interesting ways to go. And uh, and also with, you know, Daniel, uh, Dr. Radcliffe trying to fuck shit up for everybody. Yep. Yes, it's going to be very interesting. All right, uh, just before we say goodbye, uh, I wanted to bring something up very, very quickly. Uh, I've been doing a lot of re-editing and, and moving our podcast library across. I did notice the last time we were talking about what new shows we'd be looking at this year, uh, we did, me and Tommy both brought up Powers every now and again. Uh, me and Tommy have both watched two episodes of Powers, and it's rubbish, so we won't be talking about it. Not a good show, unfortunately. We yeah. were hanging out for it to be good. Alan Tudyk, Danny Pudi are in it. Uh, wasted I, in it. It's awful. Yeah, oh yeah, totally wasted. Because like Alan Tudyk still shows signs of, of brilliance, like how he delivers lines. He has a good sense of timing and stuff like that. Um, but it's just the di- it's just not written very well. No. Like I'll continue to watch throughout the whole season because that's what I do. Yeah. But um. I, I probably still wouldn't recommend it, even if it got better. Yeah. It's just As, so... Just so standard sitcom-y, but not yeah. clever. As uh, as I angrily tweeted out from our official Twitter, you got four episodes or I'm dropping this shit. <laughs> Jeez. So, yeah. Yeah. I would not recommend Powerless, so we're not going to be talking about that on the show going forward. All right, that's it for the first episode of 2017. It's great to be back. I actually, uh, when I was editing the old podcast, I was like, oh, I, I really miss doing this. It was nice to have a break, uh, but I'm glad uh, we're all back. We've got the gang back together. Uh, 
Now, just uh, a few bits of house cleaning. We are on Spreaker now. We will be closing down SoundCloud soon, which means new RSS feeds. Just keep that in mind. I'll, uh, I'll post on our Facebook, Twitter, and I'll leave a message on SoundCloud when we do that so you can resubscribe to the new feed. Uh, don't forget to find us on our social medias. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Our handle is at Modern Meltdown. And we're also on Instagram, and the website is uh, coming together nicely. Uh, don't forget to check that as it gets updated and becomes <clears throat> some point more this, polished. Yeah, some point this week we'll have a page for all of these shows, um, for the, the seasons that we're reviewing and the episodes that we're reviewing, and all of them will have a little tab for the episodes, and you'll see all three of our opinions on it and our ratings, and then a, like a nice little graph for the show of of what we felt and throughout the season that graph will get more populated and it'll be hopefully a nice little curve but uh obviously depending on um people's scores because roy is fucking about obviously with his wait what uh, this fucking makes no sense anyway <laughs> that's uh you decide to see that nonsense guys <laughs> you're very anti-roy <laughs> well look he's given so... he's given six a 5 out of 10, and he's given The Exorcist a 5 out of 10, and he gave Legion a 5.1 out of 10. How does that make sense? With what he said about the, those shows. I like The Legion more. <laughs> yeah, ever so slight. Point one of a... Oh, oh yeah, goodness. whatever. whatever. Goodness, goodness. Anyway. Alright, well, hopefully me, uh, <laughs> me and Tommy can create some sort of curvature in so that it's, graph. It's just, um, yeah, it's maybe don't follow Roy's unless you understand God, his... Fix this. Dude, just do whatever you want. I'm just saying, makes no fucking sense to me, all right? I don't get it. I'm like, oh, Roy sort of likes Legion and Six and The, ex- um, and the Exorcist sort of the same. But he, <laughs> but he clearly sees like you gave Six and The Exorcist the same score, right? But you obviously <laughs> like Exorcist a lot more. Tommy, this seems to me that it's a misery of your own making. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, don't worry, Tommy. I will be giving. Uh, I'll be giving some more diverse numbers for you. Look, I get the Exorcist a six, <laughs> and I hated that more than Roy did. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, as Tommy grapples with that, uh, the Modern Meltdown Network. We are building a network, uh, the old Modern Meltdown interviews. I'm calling it our first 13 episodes of the new version of the Modern Meltdown. I'm calling that our flashback series, where uh, we've posted some interviews. Tommy's in some of these. Actually, I was surprised at how many you're in, Tommy. Really? There's Moen. There's one with Mal Briggs. There's one with Annalise. You're you're in a couple. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've also got a new podcast, which is called Beyond the Words, which should be uploaded by the time this gets uploaded. That's hosted by my wife, Holly Soul, and that's a look at creating a novel from conception through to marketing, uh, which something a lot of people forget about is the marketing, and that's going to be up very, very soon. Uh, I'd like to thank my podcast co-host. Without them, this does not happen. Tommy Din. Always fix it. It makes slightly more sense now. It's okay. Everything's okay, guys. All right. <laughs> and Roy, the Wonder Boy. Oh fuck! <laughs> Welcome I was back. Enjoying, I was, <laughs> I was enjoying this fucking podcast all the way up to then. <laughs> Please stay safe, and we will see you all again next week. 